It's time for the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King has never let that stop him from attaining his goal on becoming a blind broadcaster. And now, here's the blind broadcaster himself, Luther King. Hello, everybody. The Blind Broadcaster Podcast is back under, well, me. This is the Game Broadcast Network, and my guest today, as our maiden Bon Voyage Voyage of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast under the Luther King Broadcast Network moniker, is the 24-year voice of the Green Bay Packers. My guest on this podcast episode is Wayne Larvey. So for the first time since July 12, 2021, we welcome you back to the Blind Broadcaster Podcast on the Luther King Broadcast Network. And we've just come off of a season unlike no other we've actually watched and with you doing games. How tough was it to make the adjustment from, you know, not being on site to being stuck getting a video feed and getting the best crowd noise possible while still trying to do a radio call, even though you weren't at the facility. Uh, the team. That was a big adjustment because, you know, live sports is best done in person. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you know, after a few weeks, I mean, you get used to it after a while. The problem is you just can't see as much as you normally would see in a radio. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what was the biggest adjustment when you had to look at video? It's like, okay, if I'm live, I pick up on like, where's the tight end lined up? Where's the slot receiver lined up? The where, you know, where's the back? Is he staying in for a pass block or is he staying in as a regular standing tailback with his hands on knees and vice versa? Um, was, it, was it the little idiosyncrasies that basically you had a bit of trouble picking up or were there other things that you normally would pick up on the fly that was hard to adjust and pick up um, off of a video feed from where you were? Television is focused from tackle to tackle essentially and maybe a little bit at wide receiver you might see a slot guy right but a lot of times the, the camera angle is not wide enough for you to call the play on radio right. um, so we had an all 22 so you had all 22 on one side and uh, you had you know the regular tv feed on the other side um now they, they coincided but um you know the the fact is you just had uh, you had to go back and forth, and so that was unnatural as well. So when we look back at this Packers season, I if I'm off base here, by all means, please let me know. But it felt like the same issue we had this season, the season before, in the last little bit, that this Packer defense could be ran on and 
it seemed like they were playing too finesse in the back end for me. I mean, with from where I sit, I could be totally, totally wrong. Where do you sit? Huh? Where do you sit? (laughs) Here in my room, my in my uh, room, listening to the actual game and picture it in my head. Um, the Packers were different this year than last year. Um, Yeah, they were. Their defense was better in some ways, not as good in other ways. They didn't pressure the quarterback as much. They didn't take the ball away as much. And yet they did a better job against the run as the season went on. And in the NFC championship game, they were outstanding. They gave up one running play of more than six yards the whole day. That was the 20 yard run, um, you know, for the touchdown of the first half by the Buccaneers. Aside from that, they were really good. Um, The problem they had in the Tampa Bay matchup and the thing I worried about going in Mm -hmm. was the fact that how are you going to cover all those receivers? And even though Antonio Brown didn't play, Tampa had, uh, you know, they went six deep at wide receiver, Uh, six deep of quality um, and speed. And that that was the thing that I I wondered about, how they were going to handle that. And And being as tall as they are with a 6'5", Mike Evans, and a 6'2", Chris Godwin, who they used on a couple of what we we refer to as what? Reverses slash wide receiver sweeps, especially in the fourth quarter when they need the first downs. They didn't go to their backs as often. They would just pitch it out to Chris Godwin and let him do most of the work as a running back out of his wide receiver spot. Yeah, you know, they did some of that. Um, I didn't see them do as much of that as they as I thought I might, but um, they did some of that. They involved their wide receivers in the running game. Um, but I thought where they really got the Packers was downfield. And mm-hmm. um, that's two things that come into play there. Number one, that's what Tampa does. Yep. And number two, um, <clears throat> Packers weren't getting the kind of pressure on – Tom Brady, they needed to get. Um, right. Zadarius Smith had a very quiet afternoon. And, um, you know, the Packers aren't the, Their defense is much better when he's active and making things happen. And uh, the Buccaneers did a good job on him. And we had three backs with Jones, Williams. I'd love to have seen Green Bay use A.J. Dillon a little bit more to at least get some more um, poundage up the middle. Maybe I wonder if that could have you know, neutralized what Tampa Bay was doing with the pass rush in the pocket. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, Matt LaFleur said himself after the game that he got away from the run a little too soon. They only ran the ball 16 times. So, um, you know, that's not like them. Um, No, it's definitely not. The Packers were not who they were. In that day, they were not the team – uh, that got into that game. And by that, I mean, they were not true to themselves in, mm-hmm. in terms of they set a record in the red zone this year, scoring on touchdowns on 80% of their red zone trips. I believe they were only two of five in the NFC championship game. Um, they're a team that, that led the NFL in fewest turnovers. They had two turnovers, two in the first half of play alone, um, you know, or I should say two turnovers in the game, uh, an interception late in the first half. And then an air drone fumble uh, in the second half. By, uh, uh, you know, the fumble yeah. by uh, Aaron, Aaron Jones, Jones. In the second half. So, you know, and the Buccaneers scored touchdowns on both of those turnovers. So that's not who the Packers were. And the other thing and where the game was lost was um, after intercepting Brady three times, the Packers only scored one touchdown off of those turnovers. And in fact, in the fourth quarter with two interceptions back to back, 
the Packers went three and out both times. And that's not the number one scoring team in the league, which no. is what Green Bay was. So uh, I guess give credit some to Tampa. They kind of uh, took away some of the strengths of the Packers that day. Uh, but Green Bay was not – they they were not true to the uh, principles that got them into that game. And that's really what it comes down to in championship games. You have to be who you are. And if you can't, the team that's closest to who they are is the team that has the best chance of winning. And Tampa Bay, you know, true to who they are, they're a big play team in the passing game downfield. And they made big plays downfield in the passing game. And, um, you know, the Packers were so out of character that even defensively, um, they were 26th or 27th in the league in uh, number of turnovers forced. Well, they took the ball away three times in that game. And so, you know, that's uh, it, it just was one of those days for the Packers. Unfortunately, it came in the championship game. Answer me this. On the two-point conversion play in the divisional round against the Rams, and then when they tried it again against Tampa, was that the same version of the same play that they missed? Or was that two different play calls where if they hit either one of those, I mean, the Rams, it didn't cost them. But the two-point conversion when they were down by five, I was wondering, I understand why they're going for two. But I'm thinking if you just kick the point, even if Tampa gets the field goal, all you need is instead of trying to get in chase points mode, which I like to refer to it as, instead of being down by five, you don't, you're only down by four, and at worst, you're only down seven with one drive left instead of being stuck having to try to score a touchdown and then try the two-point conversion you just missed on the touchdown earlier. Um, first off, I don't know if it was the same play against the Rams as it was against the Buccaneers. Um, I, I don't remember the play they called for the Rams game. Um, I think it was a play action, I think, because I know Rodgers dropped back. a lot I think. of play action in an offense. It doesn't mean it's the same play. Right, right, right. Um, you know, I hey, listen, those those situations are, are a lot of it's feel and a lot of it is, you know, there's a chart that everyone has that everyone refers to. And then it comes down. So you say, OK, we're supposed to go for two in this situation, cut the deficit to three, which makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um, but a lot of times coaches make decisions on that based on gut feel for what they see in the game. What's the, the momentum of the game at that point in time and that type of thing. And um you know, that's, that's just what a coach has to do. There, there comes a point where the analytics, um, and I understand there are some t- baseball teams that b- believe in analytics and analytics only, but there comes mm-hmm. a time in decision-making in a sports event where you have to make a decision based on your gut and, and not so much on what the, the numbers say or the chart says, that type of thing. So, um, you know, it's really hard to be critical of that. I, I, I'm not critical at all of where, what Matt did in those situations. Okay, let's back up a little bit because I know we're at to kind of go full court press here with time. When you guys did the Ice Bowl replay with you um, and the play-by-play voices, some of them who have since passed on, like the late Ray Scott, Jimmer, and um, a few others. More. Yeah. Um, when you did that coverage of the Ice Bowl, I wasn't born then, but what were the memories that were brought back? And were there some new ones when you went back and just re-listened to the coverage again? And I actually enjoyed it when you put it on your podcast, which was like, wow, 
the radio call of the ice bowl. Um, you know, I was a kid back then. I never listened to, to uh, Ted's uh, version of the ice bowl. I was listening to a guy by the name of Van Patrick out of Detroit who was doing the game for the old mutual broadcasting system. Mm-hmm. And I, I was uh, just a kid at the time. I was at a, listening to it on a car radio. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, you make when the thing about radio, it's theater of the mind. And so, yeah, sure. you know, you can kind of picture the the whole scene and everything else. And um, but, you know, I, I thought uh, Ted did a great job with the game and, and it was really neat to be able to see it when it was put together with video. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was great. It brought back a lot of memories of me sitting in a car at a ski area, you know, listening to the game on a very cold day. When you did the interviews with Jim Irwin in Packers preview or Packers pregame before he passed away, each week when you, who was on the schedule you guys had and you were able to get comments when Jim Irwin called broad, called the Packers games on those you know teams that you were playing and then have highlights, what did that mean to you to have – a legend like a Jim Irwin to bounce things off of. Oh, that was great. I mean, uh, Jim did that pregame show with us, and um, I, I thought it was great. It was a nice bridge from, um, you know, that his long tenure with the Packers mm-hmm. uh, to this new uh, broadcast with the Packers. And I thought that was very significant, very good for the fans uh, to hear his voice and, you know, his impressions of what happened um, back in some of those key games that he broadcast. So, no, it was a lot of fun to have him on, and it's just too bad he passed away um, rather untimely, in my opinion. Um, but I, I thought he was great. He he was wonderful. Um, you know, he retired on his terms, and yep. and that's how anyone wants to go out. It doesn't happen that way most of the time, but um, it, it was great. And and we involved him in the pregame show. We, we thought that uh, that was important to us and our listeners. When you have a guy like that, before you stepped into the booth, when it was the Jim Irwin, Max McGee, and then Larry McCarron being the number three guy, but would fill, you know, bring his commentary in with the stats and have, you know, work with a three-man booth. What was it like when you stepped into that spot, even though you've had broadcast experience, you know, from the other side before stepping into the Packers booth? And knowing that you already had Larry McCarron already there in the booth. Well, that was, that made it easier for me. That's for sure. Because uh, Larry was a familiar voice on the games and um, there was a natural tie, obviously to the Packers with him. And now, you know, there's a tie with both of us, but uh, at the time back in 1999, I mean, I thought that was, that was a big key to a transition into a new, um, uh, area for me. So I thought that was, that was tremendously helpful. And, um, you know, obviously it's, we've been together for 12 or 20 years now. So I think um, it's 22. I think you guys just finished your 22nd, 22nd or 23rd season. Yeah. 22nd. I think it was uh, something like that. Yeah. So anyway, no, I think anytime you can do that when you're presenting a, uh, a new, element to a broadcast like that, that people, you know, in, in Wisconsin, they kind of rely on that. And, and it's a big part of their 
uh, Sunday experience of Packers football. Anytime you add something new to that, Jim retires, Max McGee retires, you want, you know, you're going to bring, it's going to be a new broadcast, but to have a familiar voice as part of that new broadcast, I think that helps the transition tremendously. So had you worked with the coach that was there before taking over, doing all the coaches interviews with the coach that they had in place or did you have to basically figure out, okay, how do I make sure I do this interview without stepping on his toes to make, you know, the transition for me easier to work with the coach that was there to who you have now? Well, Larry, uh, you know, um, Larry certainly helped in that regard uh, in that, you know, I, I was kind of, taken under the wing, so to speak, and, and uh, was able to, to go to practices and that type of thing. But Ray Rhodes was the coach who was, um, the, he was new as well when I right. got there. And so, you know, but he was one of the best coaches I've ever worked with for pregame interviews and things like that. He was, he, I thought he was just um, wonderful. And Larry and I also did the coaches show on television with him. Um and, you know, so it, it really was a natural thing. It's unfortunate the season didn't go well and Ray was fired after the season, but he was right. great to work with. He was one of the easiest coaches I've ever worked with for pregame interviews. He understood uh, what it was all about. He understood uh, what to talk about, what we were going to talk about and how we were going to do it and the importance of it. So, um, you know, he's one of the few coaches that buy into that. So when you did the pregame show, I know the postgame was pretty much McCarran. So was that was that something that was talked over when you guys were like, okay, I'll handle the pregame interviews because that's pretty much my job. But postgame, I'll just stay here as the news anchor. And if you want to, you're since you had downstairs about two and a half minutes before the end of the game, so you so you kind of lose McCarron, and that was back when we didn't have a sideline guy. And even when even now that you have John Coon on the sidelines you kind of lose your color levels, but even if the Packers are winning or losing, you know, you're, you know, you have a lot of the post game stuff with stats and other things like that. And when you toss it to McCarron for the post game chat with either of his coach roads or currently with LaFleur, how easy of a transition is that knowing that you've handled all the pregame stuff and McCarron just does the post game chat with the coach and you just handle being the anchor guy up there basically as a news reporter and recapping what just happened. Well, I mean, that's pretty natural in most broadcast setups. Um, so it, it's not been a problem uh, for me. Uh, you know, it, I, I'm not quite sure what you're looking for here. No, I'm just saying like, cause I know some of the broadcasters, some of the play play guys at the college level or vice versa, their play play players would handle both pregame and postgame chat, postgame, um, interviews with the coach but it seems like you your broadcast team are one of the few that will have the radio you handle the pregame and McCarran handle post yeah no that's just the way it's always been here um and it was like that in Chicago too when there was a pregame interview usually um you know the play-by-play guy would do it with the coach in the uh front end and then the color guy would do you know because there's more analysis that you're looking for I, I think it's more natural for the color, uh, the uh, analyst to do the interview post game because um, you're now getting more into the X's and O's. Whereas in the uh, pregame interview, it's more of about a preview of, of 
what's coming up type of thing. So it's a different kind of interview at the end of the game. So what are the biggest things you're still, I know you've been around the play-by-play -play block a time or two or 10, but what things are you still feeling like you're grasping and learning in the play-by-play -play field that you didn't think you'd have to get a grasp on when you started? I don't know. You just, I mean, if you stop growing, I mean, the challenge of the, of any job is to get better at it to, uh, you know, there's certain things you look for and, and you try to, to do and improve upon each year, um, each broadcast. And that's the challenge of it really. Um, you know, how can you more, how can you better describe the action? How can you bring it to life? You know, are you hitting all the notes you need to hit in terms of, do can if you listen to a, a broadcast can you tell where the ball is what down it is what the score is where they are in the game that kind of thing there's all kinds of you know it's a challenge that that um, keeps going it, it's something that play by play is something you have to have repetition in to get good at and that process continues no matter how long you've worked in the business when you listen to young guys what are the biggest things besides the basics of time score down distance what are the biggest things when you listen <clears throat> to another person's work besides the basics are you listening for that basically says okay either this person understands what he's doing or you have to tell him he or she kind of a hard hard honest assessment truth about where they are um, you know, it's, well, you're talking radio, not TV, right? Cause I've done both. Well, yeah. Radio. I mean, I really, cause I'm really focused on radio when you're listening to somebody's stuff and say they're, you know, doing the radio call, but it sounds more like a TV broadcast or somebody has to rotate from TV to radio. And that's gotta be the hardest transition too. But when you're just listening to their stuff, what are you listening for besides the basics that you just discussed, like the time score, where the ball is, down distance, basically well, to force somebody to put you in the game of why should I care? Well, um, you know, a lot of times the, uh, at least in radio, people are moving up in the business in different ways. Um, they're not necessarily starting out as play by play people. They're starting out as, maybe production people. And then they get on the air a little bit on a talk show or reading, reading news or sports. And then they get on the air a little bit more as a talk show host. And then they kind of, a job opens up and so often they try to fill these jobs with in-house people because it's cheaper to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And the guy then gets into play-by-play -play and he's got to kind of grow on the air. And whereas when I came through the business, you went out and you did play-by-play -play and you know you moved up the ladder that way. Um, you know, you started out doing high school games, then you did some college games, then you finally got a shot to do pro games. Um, and that's the way you worked your way up. I, I don't see that as often today. I see a lot sure. of guys jumping in who are, are not coming up through the play-by-play -play ranks necessarily. And, you know, that's just uh, the way the business is. I, I think that that has left um, radio, most of the radio I listen to 
Um, you know, I don't necessarily know where the down, what down it is. I don't know where the ball is. Agree. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't get a great description on things. I get what I get are guys that try to hit the high notes, and that's about it. And so there, there's no buildup um, throughout the broadcast as you know to a crescendo. There's it's <laughs> crescendo every play, and that's a lot of what I see. And a lot of radio producers seem to like that, and that's what they want. Um, you know, they want. In other words, if that first score in the first quarter, if that's the only score of the game, and you want that highlight to be the biggest thing, you know, in, in the world. Well, 99 and nine tenths percent of the time, the first score of the game is not the highlight of the game. So, you know, there, there are things like that. And I, I find people are, um, you know, they're trying to hit the high notes and they don't really care about the rest of it. Can you basically leave yourself no wiggle room? Like when you just discuss, like not having a crescendo, not having a build, let let the game, you know, basically take care of itself and let it simmer. And then when it's time to hit the note, especially when you're in the fourth quarter of a tight game with like two minutes to go, you basically used all your energy in the first quarter. And by the time you get to the fourth quarter and that's an important drive, you have nothing left because you basically gave in yourself no wiggle room at all. Well, it's not that you don't have anything left. Generally, these guys, you know, you there's no ebb and flow to the game. So you're not really broadcasting the game that's happening because every game has ebb and flow. Um, but what you see is what you get is a situation where um, the, uh, the tenor is too high all the way through. And so it, it, it's where it wears out a listener, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's in that regard. Now that's, that's some places and not all. Um, and a lot of them also, uh, a lot of broadcasts have gone to, They want more of a discussion, which I think kind of hurts on radio, because if you're out there in the car, I always think of the person who's out driving, you know, and, you know, they don't have a television picture. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that a lot of broadcasts have gone toward uh, maybe two former players in there and they think they're going to get a really great insight into X's and O's when actually you just don't get any of that at all. And and you don't get a very good play by play description. So. It's hard if you don't have a monitor in front of you, a picture in front of you, as to know what's going on. It's almost like barstool radio instead of actual radio radio. Yeah, it is. And, and I think that's that talk show element is what um, a lot of radio people now in the business seem to be going to in play-by-play, which is unfortunate because and, – and you see that in the NBA where really the NBA NBA teams do not value local radio at all. no. I think that's really hurt that part of the business. NFL, it's a little bit different. But, you know, NFL, again, people gravitate toward the NFL films aspect of it where they take the call on these games on local radio and put it to film, which is wonderful on one hand. But on the other hand, I I find the guys seem to be trying to hit that huge, big note uh, in anticipation of NFL films using their, their call. So... I, I just think that really the play-by-play aspect is changing, and I'm not quite sure it's it's for the better on radio. If you were the czar PXP, okay, because I, I sit and listen to a lot of broadcasts. I like Kevin Harlan. I love the way he does radio. He at least tells you what the formations are. He gives you down and distance. He He's one of the probably one of the last few play-by-play voices that actually in his own style 
still keeps it old school fresh. Oh yeah, I mean Kevin's one of the the best. I, I worked with him in Kansas City. Um, yeah, he's absolutely one of the best in the business in terms of description and that type of thing and uh, the detail uh, that he brings to it. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. Um, I, I think the the Westwood One guys do a very good job with play by play and on radio. And I I think part of that is Howard Deneroff, uh, the executive producer, is is really kind of from that he's from that old school he's he understands uh the business and um what you're trying to get accomplished on radio uh, you know some guy but like i said some guys are are really trying to hit that home run uh in the first inning which is okay but um you know there is an ebb and flow to a game and how it goes and not every play is the end all be all of, of uh the game like the late Bill King of the Raiders. I mean, he, yeah, he may have screamed, but he at least still gave you description. Yeah, no, of- he was a Hall of Famer. He was great. Um, the, the voice of the Raiders for years and years. And it really was the voice of sports in the Bay Area because he also did the Warriors and he did, uh, I believe it was Oakland A's baseball. Yeah, he did. He, he was in the booth with Ken Korak and Ray Fossey. And that was a, that was basically the three man booth for gosh, about over 20 years. Cause after he had did the Oakland, you know, Raider games, he basically slid, slid over and was the lead voice on radio with Ken Korak and Ray Fossey would just give his analysis as former catcher. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not familiar. I didn't live in the Bay Area, so I, I don't know. But I just know of his history and, and uh, obviously I've heard some of his work uh, over the years. But um, no, it, it there were a lot of good people. Um, I, I just think the business is changing and I think the emphasis is changing uh, in play by play. And, and yet I, I don't think it's doing a service to radio listenership. And, um, you know, a lot of companies, like I said, they're kind of cutting corners. Um that type of thing. Um, local radio is not as important in some markets as it is in others. And, you know, that's, that's a big part of it, but um, teams are also taking over broadcast entities in terms of their play-by-play content. And I I think in some respects, that's been very good. Um, It certainly is good for the broadcaster because now you don't have to worry about if the games move to one station over another, that kind of thing. So um, in some respects, that's good. This has been a blast. I mean, I know you're getting texts and phone calls and things like that, so I know your schedule is pretty tight and busy. My thanks to the voice of the Packers on radio, Wayne Larry, for joining me as part of the Luther King Broadcast Network. My thanks to my producer for this podcast, Blake Gazowet. And this is Luther King signing off. Join us again next time for another exciting episode of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast. Proud to be a part of the Luther King Broadcast Network. If you'd like to reach me, you can reach me way of email at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com. That's also where you can find me on Facebook. If you want more information about the play-by-play and broadcasts, you can look that up on my Facebook page and search for Luther King Broadcast Network. You can find more information about the podcast and future episodes of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast by looking up on Facebook 
the Blind Broadcaster Podcast Facebook page. Once again, that is the Blind Broadcaster Podcast. You can find me on social, on Twitter, at King underscore TSB, and on IG, at LKing.CardinalSan85. You've been listening to the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King never let that stop him from attaining his goal of becoming a blind broadcaster. To find out more about the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network, search the Blind Broadcaster Podcast or Luther King Broadcast Network on social media or visit Luther King Broadcast Network. Network.com.